Welcome into episode 94 of the Natural Hattrick Podcast alongside Jamie Eisner and somewhere in wine country, whether that's Northern California or Italy, it's Craig Morgan. I'm Luke Lipinski and we're here to talk some hockey, gentlemen. How are we doing? Awesome. Um, it, was a, uh, it was a long day at the wineries. See... When, I don't know what goes on in a winery because I'm not uh, upper class enough to do these sorts of things, but I just imagine you stomping on grapes in a giant barrel. Is that what happens? No, I was doing no work. Oh. I was simply tasting wine all day. Oh, it sounds like a really long day. <laughs> R- really rough. <laughs> yeah. Well, you feel it the next day. Oh, okay, well, that bodes well for this podcast. Uh, fortunately, mm-hmm. you only have to talk on every single topic we have, Craig, because... The running tally of things that have happened since you left on your uh, three-year tour of the world with the Coyotes is through the roof, and we got a few more this week. Let's start with the – we haven't talked about Rick Tockett getting hired yet on this show, so let's start there, your, uh, your assessment of that situation. I think the move makes sense on a, a lot of fronts. Look, I, I know some people are concerned about the gambling plea from 10 years ago, and look, people are free to feel what they want about that. To me, it's a decade ago. So what you do is what the Coyotes did in this process. They they assess what's happened in the 10 years since. They talked to a lot of character references. They judged what he's been doing in the game. They looked at his ties to Arizona, how players feel about playing for him. And he came out, as, as John Chica said, he was far and away the best candidate. And, and I, I think it's a good move. You, I mean, you never know. Of course, there are questions around anybody that you hire, any player you bring in. There are always question marks about these things. But Rick Tockett's a guy who's been widely lauded around the league. A lot of people thought he should get a chance as a head coach. So it makes sense to me. I'm a little surprised that there's uh, that it's being met with such mixed emotions by Coyotes fans. And is that the reason then? Because I've, I've tried to sort of assess why why people might be unhappy with it. Like, I saw a poll yesterday that was, are you are you happy with the moves this week, unhappy, or just sort of neutral? And unhappy was, at, at the time, uh, the fairly heavy majority. Is it is it really because of the gambling thing, or did people want some coach that I don't know about that's on the open market? No, I think I think the gambling factors into it, but I, I think a lot of people in, in the Coyotes market, in the Phoenix market, just associate him with Wayne Gretzky. I think he's another one of the members of FOG, the infamous friends of Gretzky. Now, he, he was in that era, and he, he certainly has a relationship with Wayne Gretzky, but to me, he's, he's one of the few guys that was brought in that really shouldn't fall under that umbrella. He's a guy who's qualified. He knows what he's doing. I, I felt the same way about Alf Samuelson, to be honest. I, I don't think it's fair to lump everybody in that same boat. I mean, there, there were certainly hires, most notably the general manager, Mike Barnett, who you could question, but I don't think Rick Tockett's one of those guys, but I do think I think there's some residuals from that. I think people are associating him too much with a very bad era in Coyote's history. I love the fact that, that if you're a friend of Gretzky, you're a member of Fog. It sounds like the <laughs> most outcast superhero group. Some, some special like music group. Yeah, something like that. Some like special on NBC. I, I'm not even, maybe I'm off base here, but I'm not even remotely concerned about the gambling stuff from 10 years ago. I mean, if, yeah. even if we remember what it was back then, it's not like he was. It's not like they were throw. He was a coach that was throwing games. This involved the Super Bowl. I mean, it, this is really much ado about nothing. I can understand 
fans being concerned about, you know, oh, this is a Gretzky connection. But as Craig just said, that's a flawed way to look at things. I'm not sure. At this point in the offseason, who do you think you were going to get? This, this is better. Well, I think a lot of people wanted Todd Nelson, right? And, and that, there's a lot of sense to that. There, that. That's another guy. When I talk to people around the league, he was widely praised. Of, of the candidates that they were, they were talking to, sorry about the dog barking in the background, uh, of the candidates they were talking to, uh, that, that's the guy that consistently rose to the top of the list. Uh, a lot of people have, uh, have uh, the belief that this guy deserves a chance in this league, and he's probably going to get it. So I think some people thought, go younger, but I think that sort of that young fresh approach thing is I think it's overplayed I mean Takat's already talked about the style that he wants to play here allowing the players to have some freedom I don't think you necessarily have to be a young guy to relate to young players yeah I would agree with that I would care more about the uh, the style of, of play that he's going to coach and obviously he was relating to young players uh, in Pittsburgh when they won the last two Stanley Cups so I just exactly I, you know I I, I guess I guess if it's an issue for people that he knows Wayne Gretzky, I mean, that's going to be an issue with, with a lot of uh, people around the NHL. I, I tend to lean more towards your stance there, Craig, if I'm, I'm looking at the fact that he was basically Mike Sullivan's second in line in Pittsburgh, and he was a major part of, of the Penguins winning two cups to the point where people in Pittsburgh are, are not happy he left. I mean, they under, understood that there was certainly a pretty strong possibility he was going to leave here at some point, but... That's a team that sort of had to scramble to fill his spot, and that's a team that's had a lot of success lately. So I don't know. I'm just I was trying to get. I mean, if you go on social media, I don't feel like you necessarily get a a full read. Like I'm hearing people say they want Daryl Sutter and, and and names like that that just don't make any sense Ugh. for this Coyotes roster at all. Zero zero sense to hire a guy like Daryl Sutter when you when you heard the prerequisites that John Schaigel laid out for what he wanted his coach. <laughs> Daryl Sutter doesn't check any of those boxes. No. Sorry, I know he's had success, but he's not the type of communicator, that, that open-style uh, coach that, that uh, John Chica was looking for. That, that would have made no sense to me whatsoever. He doesn't want a guy that gets locked out of his own locker room by his players? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Come on. Dude, just, yeah, just think a little bit on that thought. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, Daryl Sutter, no way. You, just, you, have to, you have to get somebody. And I'm not sitting here guaranteeing that Rick Tockett's going to be hoisting the Stanley Cup in Phoenix next year. I'm just saying that, like Jamie just pointed out, it's early July, it's mid-July when you're making this hire, you you're, you parted ways with your previous coach the night before the draft. You only have so many options at that point, and honestly, I feel like Rick Tockett was probably a better option than you should have at that point in the season, simply because he was on a team that, that played so far after the regular season that a lot of other teams had already filled their vacancies. So, like I said, I'm, I'm not guaranteeing he's going to win the Jack Adams right out of the gate or something, but considering what your options were, I think this was yeah. a pretty clear-cut choice. Yeah, and John Tiger made it clear that he, he, he thinks Tockett was available because of that the situation the Penguins were in. He said that in the press conference, so it it fell sort of the way the Coyotes wanted to do. I'm, I'm curious to see what he's going to do to fill out his uh, coaching staff. Uh, you know, I, I, I wonder sometimes, you know, these guys tend to bring in guys that they know, but there might be some guys out there. I have no basis for this whatsoever at the moment, but... I've been curious about a guy like Teppo Newman and a former Coyote, you know, an offensive defenseman, a puck-moving defenseman. And seriously, one you, you know him as well, Luke, probably one of the best guys that I've met in this game. Another guy who connected well with players. So it would be interesting to see if he'll make some calls to former teammates around here. Yeah, that would be really cool. Obviously, Teppo Newman and very well regarded around uh, the Valley, really just around hockey in general. And, and I guess that sort of segues into the – 
hiring of Steve Patterson as team president and CEO now as well. Uh, one of the things that, that has stood out to me, and, and I, I, I wondered if, if it was partially a coincidence when they hired Tockett, not a full coincidence, but not, not a major uh, deciding factor, but now you've brought in Tockett and Patterson, both guys that have had ties to the Phoenix area, not just within the last couple of years, but you know, going back a decade or two. What are the benefits of that in your guys' mind? Well, for, for me, for Steve Patterson, it's just his experience getting arena or stadium deals done, whether it's renovations or new construction or naming rights. He, he just has so much experience in that field. And, and as Arizona State's athletic director, he obviously developed a lot of corporate and political relationships over the years. You have to do those things to get things done at ASU because you're a state university. So he developed a lot of relationships. And to me, I, I mean, and, and Anthony LeBlanc actually reached out to me and said it himself, I don't think they could have made a better hire and Steve Patterson. That's, that's quite an admission from the guy who used to hold that post. So when you look at his experience and his ties, it makes sense. My only question, and, and I, I don't know if this is true or not, I wonder if Patterson's relationships are still intact after he left ASU. Um, ASU President Michael Crow was very upset, said he was disappointed in it, thought they were on the same page, had the same vision at the time. Now that may be patched up. I know Steve has some relationships still over at, at ASU with Morgan Olson and Rocky Harris and and I asked him specifically if he felt like he was in a good place with ASU, and he said he thought he was. So, that, that I mean, Michael Crow is just one of those relationships you, ha- you have to have in this state. He's not a good enemy to have. Yeah. But we'll, we're about to find out. And, and, look, even if he has all those relationships, knows all his way in and out of, of every uh, door in this city, this is still an uphill battle to get an arena built. It, it's a major project. They know it. But he is, again, probably the best guy to try and tackle the project. Yeah, and you know, as always, money, who finances what, what percentages where is always going to be the determining factor. But he does carry some, you know, political cachet into some of these conversations, which again, it doesn't hurt. How much it ends up helping is still to be determined. But I mean, ultimately, again, it, it's all follow the money, and ultimately, that's going to be the judge of when and where and how quickly an arena deal gets done. I have to think the uh, primary reason that Steve Patterson was their top choice is the arena, right? I mean, it's, it's, and I don't think it's like 25% of the reason. I have to think it's closer to about 80% of the, the reason. Not to take away from other attributes he brings to the table, but if you are trying to secure an arena here locally, at least in my mind, you're going to go out there and hire somebody just like Steve Patterson, and when you start to look around, there aren't other guys with those sorts of ties around Phoenix, so that list at that point becomes pretty short. Without question, it was the biggest reason they made the hire. Andrew Barroway said it in the press conference, it's the only thing holding us back right now. They have to secure this. It, it changes the game if they can secure an arena. It changes the valuation of the team. It does so many things. So you, you need to check off that last, box, that last box so you find the best guy available to do just that. Yeah, it, it's by far the most important task the Coyotes need to complete. Actually talked to Patterson yesterday, and, and I'll pose this question uh, to you guys as well. He, you know, he basically said yes to this, but with with the timeline that was sort of laid out prior to this hiring, and then the timeline that was sort of amended at the press conference this week, is it fair to say that that maybe every every option around town is is still open or back on the table? And I, I guess the I guess the uh, if you're reading between the lines here, is, is there any chance of ASU, or is that completely gone? 
I would never close anything off. I think they're going to consider all options. I think they have to consider all options when you look at how difficult this project is. But, you know, whether they can revive that in some other form, I don't know. That's not something that I have heard. I, I, I do believe that the Coyotes' real goal is to get downtown, find a way to get downtown. I think that's their number one option. That doesn't mean it's going to happen, but they do have other options that they'll consider, whether that's, again, partnering with a municipality and trying to get that legislation passed, whether it's looking on the reservation. It's, it's all speculation right now because they're, as, as Andrew Barraway said, we're going to be quiet about it. We're going to be private, and when we have a deal to announce, then we'll let you know. It's not going to be all these false timelines like you've heard in the past. So we're going to have to, uh, I guess, just sit back and wait. And he even said to me in a, that Q&A that I did the other day that, he can't tell me when it's going to happen. They're not going to put a timeline on it. Don't know. But as he said, failure is not an option. We have to get a deal done here. This is the best available market. What would you guys think of, of, of that comment right there? I mean, the second you, you sit down as the new sole owner of a team and you've got your new coach to your left and your new uh, team president CEO to your left and your GM and, and – you have everybody in that room, and there was a lot of media members there that don't typically cover uh, the Coyotes, but, but you know they were smart to do it in a week. It's the slowest week in sports. They really garnered all the attention here locally. When your owner sits down and says failure is not an option, we're going to get an arena in this city, that's, I thought, a pretty strong statement. Sure, and it's let, let, let's be honest. It's part of that is marketing, right? That's what you have to say to your fan base. Now, they're going to do everything they can. I believe that, and I also believe that when he says this is the best available market that should clue people in i know there's still this this relocation talk and andy andy made it plain a hundred times that he doesn't want to relocate he wants the team to stay in the family his son he has a son going to school planning for him to become the next governor of the team when he's old enough all of that says commitment to this market but the, the biggest truth here is look there just aren't better markets available and when people think seattle they keep talking about seattle well, they could go to seattle once again, a point that I think all of us have been harping on for, I don't know how long, two years. Seattle is set aside for expansion. The NHL is not giving up the expansion fee for Seattle. That is going to be an expansion franchise when and if that market is ready. So remove Seattle from the mix. What do you have left? You have markets like Portland or Kansas City. Do any of these markets stack up in the NHL's mind? The answer is a definitive no. So if they get a new arena, I guess it doesn't even have to necessarily be within the next year. And, and maybe, actually, let's start there, Craig, for, for the listeners and just sort of clarification purposes. They can stay in Glendale beyond this year, right? There is an option there. Yes, they have an option to renew on an annual basis with AEG. So if, if the... Uh, Let's say they get the arena a year from now and, and everything's set up and we're, and we're locked in here. At that point, does the relocation talk finally stop? I, I, I mean, you can hear the exasperation in your voice. Jamie and I have had to explain this to people a million times, too. We're not the only ones. It just feels like that conversation is going to be brought up no matter what. Well, I think until shovels are in the ground, that, that, argue, uh, that conversation will still be had in, in some circles. But then it ends. I, I don't think – yeah, well, I mean, if you get an arena, of course. Okay. I can't even imagine that conversation ending. It's just like that's going to be the greatest day in Coyotes history. It's just like we'll be talking about it 10 years from now, 50 years from now. It's just always going to be a thing. I just feel like they're going to put up a new arena, and it's going to be in downtown Phoenix or wherever, and I'm going to go online, and people are going to be talking about how they're moving to, like, Moose Jaw or something. It just doesn't 
I guess I guess the the lesson here is is uh, stay off social media. Um, now, with the addition of Rick Tockett, that uh, I, I, Jamie and I were talking before we we hit record on the show. I don't know where this came from, but can we maybe have a definitive answer here on on Phil Kessel coming to Arizona? That that seemed to sort of just jump out of nowhere. Other than I guess the simple fact that Rick Tockett was was sort of his his main coach in Pittsburgh, but that doesn't necessarily mean he just leaves if Rick Tockett leaves. Well, I mean, it, you, you've seen some speculation that the Penguins may be trying to trade Kessel, and, I, and I'm not certain about that one. When, when someone like Elliot Friedman says it, you, you know, he's just not pulling it out of thin air. Yeah. But in terms of Phil Kessel coming to the Coyotes, no, it's not happening. I've been, I've been told that it's absolutely not happening. There's nothing to those rumors whatsoever. Okay. Anything else on the Coyotes here before we, uh, we move on to stuff around the league? Well, saying. what about Andy Barraway? Well, <laughs> what about that? Finally hearing from the owner after uh, a lengthy, well, it was more than a month, wasn't it, since, yeah. since the buyout of the minority owners? Yeah, I mean, there, was, there were legalities there, right, where he basically couldn't talk until the a sale of the team was 100% complete, right? And that ended up... Yeah, they, approved by the Board of Governors. That got done this week, correct? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Bill Daly, the deputy commissioner, told me, he, he sent me an email saying that the process was done, and then obviously the next day they had the press conference announcing all these people. So we we were talking. Uh, I think we were a little. I, I wouldn't say surprised to see him there, but but it wasn't necessarily expected until a couple of days ahead of time. You know what? You, you get the press release, and they're telling you Rick Tockett's going to be there to be introduced, and Steve Patterson's going to be there to be introduced, and then Barraway's going to be there. And and like you said, that's the first time he's been able to speak publicly. Uh, since the sale was complete, any uh, any anything stand out in what he said other than what we've already talked about with the arena? I'll let you go first on this one, Jamie. Well, I guess the the big takeaway was his comments about Shane Doan and and the way that that situation, the way that situation was handled, and that he should have been the one to come out and and have that conversation with him, which is something we we talked about on this podcast before of. You know, there's a certain. I think we all are in agreement of, in terms of the on ice perspective, there wasn't uh, an obvious role for Shane Doan on this team going forward. But the way you could have handled it so much better from a PR standpoint and off the ice, and I, I don't buy that there's there was a thought of, oh well, this is going to go over well. We don't have to work on this anymore. Uh, but so I think that was really the only big takeaway. Otherwise, you know, it was kind of you know, it was the stuff that you want to hear from an owner, but I'm not sure. You know, when you come up there and tell, you know, always saying, "Oh, you know, I, you know, I love it here," and you know, I, I have no intention, and I bought out all the minority orders just because I love the team so much. Uh, that's the kind of stuff you go, "Okay." I mean, you know, you have to kind of say that. But I thought the don't stuff. You've was, heard that before, right? Yeah, I've heard that. <laughs> yeah, heard that that's like PR one hundred and one. Yeah. So, but the, it, it was nice of him to to apologize. I think it helps quell some of the frustration. Although I think a lot of that frustration has already passed at this point in the yeah. off season. But again, it, it's good that he came out and said it. I just I was just happy that we finally got to speak to Andy Barraway because you you know you hear a lot of things from other sources but you can't speak directly to the source so it's it's hard to assess where the truth is and and it's not that I don't have questions about Andy but but that that Shane Doan admission first of all it's hard to to be that humble to to humble yourself and just admit you screwed up and it's I think doubly hard for for guys in Andy Barraway's position who are used to calling the shots you know they, they don't get put in those situations. So I thought that was a, a really important olive branch that he extended to the Coyotes community. And, and there were some people in that community who, who didn't have any problem with it. 
I think it should be clear that there was definitely a problem with it. It was mishandled, and it was good of him to apologize for that. Like I said, of the rest of the stuff, I mean, I asked some questions of him in that Q&A I did, and you certainly still have to have some questions about Andy Barraway going forward in terms of the finances of this team. He's, he's the sole owner now. He's taken on an awful lot of debt. You know, when I asked him specifically about it, he said, look, the league thinks I can handle it. I think I can handle it, and I do run a billion-dollar hedge fund. Now, okay, that's, that, that sounds great, but Forbes just estimated your net value outside the team at $50 million, and we know that the, the debt he's taken on with the Coyotes is well in excess of $250 million. So I think there are some concerns there. So we'll, we'll have to see how that plays out. We'll have to see if he decides at some point that he wants to bring in minority investors, which he says he really isn't entertaining right now, but is open to that possibility. I still have big questions about the finances of this team. Is there a way for one of these episodes this summer we can get Forbes to estimate our individual net values? Is that I don't uh, think I do, don't think I want to know. Do they ha- do they make numbers that low? <laughs> yeah, it's in the uh, the decimal issue that they will bring out. Is there, neg- is there negative numbers that we could? That's a that's a very depressing take on my brilliant idea, uh, Jamie. Anything else? Well, you know, as you and I discussed a little bit I feel on like a, a moderator over here, I, this is well, weird. It's kind of what you're talking, Craig. Is when are you coming bit. back? We're lost without you. <laughs> But, you know, as we talked a little bit about on the drive up to Las Vegas for the expansion draft and NHL awards, we were talking about how the the Doan situation was handled. You know, to Craig's point about a guy like Andy Barraway and from where he has made his money not really being put in a position where he has to publicly apologize like he did. You know, we thought that factored in a little bit in the, let's just call it a lack of preparation for the fallout of the Shane Doan scenario where – He's not used to being someone that has to go out there and answer questions from the media and has to answer questions from the public. He kind of he does his thing, and in the financial world, and then that you know he answers to other CEOs or he answers to other people that he's partners with, but he doesn't really answer to the public. So this is kind of I mean I know he's been the owner for a couple of years now, but it's kind of breaking new ground when you're having to make these kind of decisions. So to Craig's point, I think it was it, it was good of him to to show humility and to go up there and say, hey, you know I, I screwed this up. And, but, again, I don't think there's going to be any long-lasting effect. I think the, the vitriol from the fan base died off fairly quickly, as, as to be expected. Craig, uh, yeah, and I, go, go ahead. ahead. No, go ahead and finish the thought. Well, it just, I, when, I, when I think about that, I, I, I mean, I, I think what he also said, the other half of what he said was, I still don't think it was the wrong hockey decision, and, and there is a strong argument to be made there. Look, Shane Doan was 40. His, his production has tailed off. He obviously has never been blessed with foot speed. So you can understand it from that standpoint. So, again, just like Jamie was saying, they, they just needed to handle the marketing side of it better. But you can make a strong argument that they absolutely made the right hockey decision. There was a lot of talk at that press conference about uh, moving forward and, and certainly the, the trades that John Chica were was able to pull off on the morning of the draft were brought up, and, and obviously the prospects are, are brought up as, as they have been over the last couple of years. But Anthony Duclair, Jordan Martinook, still a couple RFAs that I would imagine are a big part of this team's future, uh, but they're not signed quite yet. Craig, can you give us an update on, on either one of those or, or even both of them? Yeah, Duclair's contract talks are ongoing. I've, I've kept in touch with his agent, and Ken Hughes, and it seems like they're they're working toward a deal. I mean, I think everybody expected after he had five goals last season that it would be a short-term deal, and I would I would guess that they're going to arrive at a two-year deal at some point. Um, Jordan Martinuk, for a while, it didn't look 
very good. His agent was, was talking tough, saying talks were going nowhere. But he texted me last night, told me that they were talk, talking again, and things looked like they were progressing well. So we could have a settlement before Jordan Martin Martinuk's uh, July 26th arbitration date. And again, when you're looking at that deal, I would also think that that's probably coming in as a two-year deal. Okay. Uh, other other signings around the league. Andre Palat, what five years, twenty six point five million dollars. So, Tampa Bay is a team that I know the three of us are pretty high on, and they've kind of gone out this summer. They they get the the deal with Tyler Johnson too. They've really sort of gone all in on keeping the pieces they have for the most part, uh, other than Jonathan Drouin. So, that, that's about what you would expect for Andre Palat, right? Yeah, I guess uh, when I it, it, I can't even remember who made this comparison yesterday on Twitter, but when you look at the average annual values of Palat's contract, Johnson's contract, and Juwan's contract, Jonathan Druin has got six years at an AAV of five point five. Palat got five years at five point three. Johnson five years at uh, five point zero. So Steve Eiserman once again working some magic. Uh, you know, keeping guys who are, who are a little bit older. So you would think would make a little bit more money on their annual value. They're, they're making less money than Jonathan Drouin is at age 22. It's crazy, too, when you talk about Palat uh, and Tyler Johnson. They were obviously part of that triplets line with Nikita Kucherov, what, I guess now three years ago, that went to the Stanley Cup and, and uh, lost to the Blackhawks. That was just me being nice to Craig to even bring that up. Uh, but Palat and Tyler Johnson, I mean, their production has gone down considerably Andre Palat had 17 goals last year and 52 points. The year before, he had 16 and 40. I'm still at the point where, from a couple of years ago, I think a lot of people see his name and they think, oh, yeah, you know, Palat's a good 60, 70-point guy with about, you know, he's knocking on the door of 30 goals because he was so big in those playoffs, too. He's only broken the 20-goal barrier once in his entire career. Yeah, and, and, yeah. He, ahead, he's, yeah, he's an interesting he's an interesting player because he has been fairly consistent. I mean, he missed some time two seasons ago, which is why his his overall point total was down to to forty. But you know that that's a player that has had success in your system on your team for several years now, and that's the benefit of developing young players and keeping them in town. Is one you know they're going to fit, and two you can sometimes, not always, but a lot of the time, get them at a discount compared to what free agent market value would be. Yeah, and I can't decide. You know, when, when I look at these numbers, I just think that Eisenman sort of held a hard line, and you can look at the drop in production for both players, actually, for Johnson and lot the last two seasons, and, and think that that was part of it. But then why is Montreal paying a 22-year-old Jonathan Troy what they're paying? That's, that was surprising, I guess. And maybe that's the more surprising thing in this whole mix to me. Well, Montreal's just so hungry for offense and, and name recognition up front that, uh, I don't know, I feel like Montreal sometimes bids against themselves, but Jonathan Drouin seems like a pretty decent pickup for them. So the Tampa Bay ends up parting ways with Jonathan Drouin and then Ben Bishop late last season. But other than that, it's it's a pretty similar team uh, to the one that, that had success too and, and three seasons ago now. We all still, still feel pretty strongly about this group. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think Eisenman believes that Mikhail Sergachev is going to be a, a, a top pairing or at least a top four defenseman in this league two down the road. So it, when we, we evaluate this trade a couple of years down the, the road, we may have an even different opinion of that. Wow, I can't speak here. An even different opinion of it than we have right now. <laughs> you sure you didn't continue to drink wine yeah. into this morning? Are you in a vineyard right now? 
Well, it is hair, sort of that, that hair of the dog mentality, right? Yeah, this podcast cures all. That's that's uh, that's my advice for you. No, I'm, uh, I'm not admitting that I'm drunk on the air, no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That that I think is literally like only our just our minimum standard. Don't actively admit that you're drunk on the podcast. That's what Jamie told me the first time I ever came okay. in for episode one. So that's the one so rule. That's, I all, that's my the only time. rule. Uh, yeah, I, I don't even have to, you, you can be it, but you don't admit it. Okay, just don't admit it. it. Uh, but okay. I, yeah, I'm still very high on the uh, on the Lightning. I, I think they're going to be back in the playoffs this year. I think they are still a Cup contender. They have a lot of depth on offense. They have that high end defenseman, and they have their decor that is being shored up a bit. It, they, they were such a hot team late last season. It's disappointing how poorly they started because I think they could have made a lot of noise and maybe they could have been the team that knocked out Washington in the first round. But uh, next Washington, year, yeah, there's always next year. There's always next year to be the team that knocks out Washington in the, in the first round. What about Matt Duchesne? I feel like uh, he was supposed to be traded about six months ago and or now, a year ago or <laughs> eighteen months ago, and now we're hearing talk that he might very well start this upcoming season. Uh, with the Colorado Avalanche, which just seems like the best-case scenario for everybody because it's pretty clear he doesn't want to be there. Colorado doesn't want him, and other teams do want him. So why not stick him in Colorado to start next season? <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen here. I mean, I'm, I'm still not convinced he's going to stay. I think, think there could still be a trade here. But, yeah, it is it is a bit surprising that he, he's still sitting in place, although, as we've, we've mentioned many times, um, the asking price may be a little high right now, and then there's that uh, well-publicized, attitude problem that he has that his own GM has admitted to other executives around the league. Do you think it hurts, too, that he still has two years left on his deal? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's also just the amount of leverage that Colorado must think that they have is remarkable because at some point when you're trying to trade somebody for so long and you can't get anybody to trade with you, you kind of lower your price to a point where you can make a trade with somebody. I, I don't but know. Do you make it at that point after you, you know, after the Ryan O'Reilly trade, you, you you potentially take another loss on a significant talent at center, and that things just look really bad for for your moves in 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 those two situations. Yeah, I guess it depends on where you think you actually are in the in the growing process. Now, a year ago, you could have said we would have thought, okay, maybe Colorado's a couple pieces away from being a playoff team, and then you'd say, okay, we're not going to take seventy five cents on the dollar for Matt Duchesne. I think now you have to look at your entire franchise and say, okay, are we going anywhere fast and do we think there's any chance that his value will go up or stay the same if we continue to play him? The thing, too, with him is, is a year ago he was coming off a 30-goal season. So 75 cents on the dollar a year ago was a lot different. Uh, the value of the dollar has changed in Matt Duchesne's case because... Not, now it's a Canadian dollar? Yeah, I, it's, it's something. It's, uh, it's, it's dropped considerably. It's whatever the equivalent is when you only score 18 goals in a season and your team finishes with one of the worst records in the last... It, Recent history, let's just put it that way. One of the worst records since uh, since the start of this decade, and I just I don't. If that's affecting him, if that's affecting that team, I mean, Craig, you bring up a great point. They already had to move Ryan O'Reilly out a few years ago, and it's not the exact same situation. But that was kind of a, a scenario where both sides had sort of soured on each other, and everybody around the league knew it. And I just. I don't understand what's going on there. Colorado, three, four years ago, looked like a team that was absolutely on the rise. Uh, they kind of looked, in some ways, like Calgary looks now. They didn't have the defense that the Flames have, but they were at that sort of stage where it seemed like they might be a, a team that could make the playoffs at least every year, and they had young talent. And now, all of a sudden, they're just they're cannibalizing themselves. Craig? Wow, that's a lot of dead air. That's a yeah. lot of dead air. Yes. 
it's, it's on you. So feel free to talk. It's all on me? Yes. It's all on me? Okay. Yeah, I don't know what they're doing either. I don't have insight into what you're doing right now. <laughs> uh, I mean, well, like, we, well, like we said before, I mean, why, why do you tell other executives that he's got attitude issues? Let's, let's start there and, and question the, the leadership, what's happening right now. But I, I don't know. I don't, think you can, uh, I don't think you can lower this price too much because, again, you already lost Ryan O'Reilly. That trade didn't work out. You can't keep trading away centers, top six centers, no. for, for less than value. It's, it's just not a good way to do business. Especially when they go elsewhere and they perform better. Uh, some of the teams that have been tossed around as possible landing spots for Matt Duchesne, Boston, Columbus, Pittsburgh, Nashville, and uh, Calgary. Those are, those are the five I've heard the most. Any of those stand out to you as, as a team that, that makes the most sense for him? To me, it's... At least on first glance, it's it's probably either Nashville or maybe Columbus. Yeah, I think both of those teams could use another guy in that sort of role. I, I agree completely. Those would be the two choices for me. Plus, I just want to watch him and John Tortorella try and coexist. <laughs> yeah, it, There's that. Nashville and Columbus were, were the two places where he would add the most immediate value. <laughs> can, I, can I just say, that might be the highlight in the history of this show, <laughs> me saying something. Craig not responding and then going, wow, there's a lot of dead air right there. <laughs> like he was fascinated by the by the transaction. That's definitely, of the first 94 episodes of this show, it's it's in the top 10 moments. And, and Jamie has, has, Craig, I don't know if you know this, Jamie's actually, he's going to go back and listen to every second of every episode and make a montage uh, in the, when we get to episode 100. Is, is this true, Jamie? Uh, no. Or is this new team? Not, yeah, this is hashtag okay. fake news. Okay. You've, you've still got six weeks to do it. Nothing's going on here. I'm there? fully expecting Jamie to splice that dead air right out of the show. So. See, obviously you've been away too long and you don't fully remember Jamie. I'm, I'm expecting him to extend that dead air so it lasts like 13 minutes. Well, see, here's the problem. Now that could, we're talking about it so much, I have to leave it in. <laughs> you, could run a, you could run an ad during it or something comical oh, yeah, that's to true. fill that space. Advertise for another hockey podcast or something, even though there are none others, no well, others. That, that's, where, that's where we're going to put Swedish things, right oh, back yeah. when that segment returns. <laughs> By the way, that's, that's returning soon, I feel like. Uh, Connor, Swedish things next week. Connor McDavid, um, I know we talked about this at the last uh, in episode 93, but the deal wasn't officially done. And as it turns out, the average annual value went down a little bit. And so Connor McDavid is making eight years, uh, right around $12.5 million a year. It seems like a, a pretty good compromise on both ends. Like Edmonton's already gone out, and they've signed a couple really cheap players that you know, take a flyer on a guy like UC Okunen and hope maybe he can help out. That's basically what Edmonton's going to have to do now going forward, correct? Peter is going to have to get creative. Sure. And, and don't forget Leon Dreisaitl and how he factors into yeah, all oh, of yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, when you have guys eating up that much of the cap, you, you definitely have to find ways, and, and it gets even harder as you move down the road, right? And when you have uh, young players that need to be paid, it, it, it gets more and more difficult, and if you have success, it gets more and more difficult. So that they, they've sort of set themselves up with that sort of the same model that a few other teams have followed. Uh, but the, the thing about this thing that was the most interesting to me is that, you know, that the, McDavid gave up, what, three-quarters of a million dollars? We were hearing that initially the deal was expected to be about 13.25 and ended up at 12.5. Yeah. And, and we're hearing how the, the Oilers pressured him into taking less, less money so that they could be more competitive, that McDavid was uncomfortable with the perception. Okay, 
I, I, I don't get why people are all over the team when, when the team, you know, they, they got their own arena built. I get all that. But this is all, these are all necessary components of doing business. And they're right. If you go overpaying, I, I don't know if you can overpay Connor McDavid, but if you give him that huge chunk like Chicago did with Taves and Kane, it really limits the pieces you can fill in around him. So, so credit with him, hit him with recognizing if we're going to win, we need some flexibility within the cap. So, yeah, I think I can give up $750,000 a year. I think I'll be okay at $12.5 million per year. And well, it doesn't seem like much. I mean, that that's a that's a fourth line roster player for you. That's a sixth defenseman, maybe. Uh, that makes a difference yep. on a yearly basis. And as we talked about a few weeks back, we were going interested to see what the final number was for Connor McDavid and and what in his mind the level of importance was. Where you know, I, I said I, I have no problem if he says, "Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna take the absolute maximum I can take," but you then have to know and you have to take responsibility that if I take that thirteen point two five number that it, it hinders it possibly hinders the franchise down the road from bringing other good players to put around me to win a championship. And it's something it, it that... It, go ahead. No, no, no. It's, it's something that you had to consider in these deals and something that he deserves some, some credit for. But, yeah, I agree with Craig. And the teams are trying to get players at the lowest price. I don't think we look at that and say, I can't believe that they, they tried to talk Connor McDavid down three-quarters of a million dollars. Well, they have to know, too... I, it's not going to be easy. Like it, it's it's such a it's such a weird situation because you have Connor McDavid lay on Drysaddle, so you have a huge advantage over about twenty eight teams in the NHL. So you you can't complain about that. But there is an element of you now have to your job as a GM is completely different than basically twenty eight other teams in the NHL. You've got two really expensive that probably aren't overpaid players that you're building around, and it's great to have them, but you're very top heavy. And especially with Edmonton, when they felt the need to go out and give Milan Lucic $6 million a year for multiple, multiple years uh, last summer, I, I don't know why they didn't have some foresight then to see that they were going to have to pay Connor McDavid money down the line. And then also Ryan Nugent Hopkins making uh, $6 million a year as well. You are in a position where, yeah, if you can save $750,000, that's money you can, you can throw at a flyer, not a Philadelphia flyer, but like an actual flyer with upside. And, you know, if it doesn't pan out, it doesn't pan out. But, but you're going to have to you're going to have to chase some lottery tickets that are cheap with the hopes that just one or two of them sticks, because otherwise it doesn't matter how great Connor McDavid is. If he has three other guys on his roster, it, they're never going to actually win anything. Yeah. And I think the other thing to note, too, is where Edmonton is now, they're having to pay guys before they won anything. And with, with the Kane and Taves deals. They had two cups under their belt when those deals were done. It gives you a little bit more, at least as a GM, to kind of say, yeah, but look what I did. Look what I did here. And now I'm rewarding them. They haven't won yet. So Chiavelli has to find a way to build a team that can win, yet is going to have these massive contract constraints on them. And it, it's it, the entire safety net is gone. He cannot afford to make a bad signing, especially a bad multi-year signing, or else it's going to cost him quality, talented players down the line, just like we've seen happen in Chicago. No problem for the third-best GM in the league. Yeah. <laughs> he, he has uh, every opportunity now to, to earn that, that sort of label. If, he's, if, he, if he can pull this off and actually put a pretty decent lineup around Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, and they have a couple other decent pieces already, but if he can fill out a roster around them, then maybe we can talk in terms of him being one of the better GMs in the league. But up to this point, I wouldn't be all that excited as an Oilers fan that 
it's Peter Chiarelli that's being tasked with, to a certain extent, he's going to have to be really, really good now over the next few years. And, and to Jamie's point, if he makes any mistakes, that's, that's kind of it. That really sets you back. I think the Milan Lucic deal was already a mistake, but maybe yep. he, he has a way he can get around that. I he's, don't know. Made, he's made two big mistakes already. And it was the Lucic deal and there was the Larson trade. But now there's even less room for error. Yeah. Yeah, and what does Drysaddle's deal look like? I, I've heard recent speculation that they might be able to get him at under eight per year. Uh, if it's you know if it's a longer term, if they're willing to give some term. But I, man, if if you're Leon Drysaddle, do, do you accept that at this point? As we talked about, he was he was probably their best player in the playoffs. That's and a weird. You're going to take. I mean, you're going to take close to five million dollars less. Then Connor McDavid is taken. That that seems a little strange to me. If if I'm Chiarelli, I'm going to Leon Draisaitl, and I'm finding the players like Sidney Crosby and other players that don't make anywhere near what Connor McDavid makes in terms of a cap hit right now. And I'm just pointing to those numbers and be like, see, we almost value you as much as the Penguins value Crosby. I mean, you're right. It's a weird conversation to go to Draisaitl, and he has absolutely proven himself in the playoffs. McDavid wasn't bad in the playoffs. He's only had one chance, but. But he wasn't great in the playoffs. It was Dreisaitl that was the guy that was great. I don't know how you go to him and you say, we're going to give you $7.7 million or something, but we're also paying McDavid twelve point five. That's That's going to be a tough sell to a certain extent. I imagine you have to have McDavid talk to him and say, look, I took a little less, so can you take a little less? Right. Well, <laughs> Dreisaitl might come back and say, well, I am taking a lot less if you, if you are – Telling me to take what they're offering me right now. Yes, yeah, says the guy that's making twelve and a half. Tells me right, to take exactly. Less. And if you come to him and say, "Well, we're, you know, look, you're making as much, almost as much as Sidney Crosby," well, yeah, his agent's not going to fall for that boy. No, it's, it's not a. It's not about contracts signed several years ago. It's about moving forward. What the cap's going to look like down the road. What do you think he would get if he was an unrestricted free agent right now and was just hitting the open market? I, I honestly, I don't have an answer for that, but uh, it would be higher than the number we're hearing floated as his potential AAV. What do you guys make of the, uh, the, the seemingly growing thought process out there that uh, GMs are going to be more and more willing to offer sheet restricted free agents going forward? I'll believe it when I see it. I guess, yeah, it's exactly the same. I literally have the same words coming out of my mouth. I, you understand the, the thinking behind it. The cap is tighter and tighter. Uh, you know, there, there are just less players available on the free agent market, I guess, is the, the easiest way to look at it. And you have to you have to explore multiple ways to improve your team. John Chica said it himself. The Coyotes GM said he would he would not rule it out. But, again, as he said, there, there have to be sort of perfect circumstances. You have to know you're going to get that player when you make that sort of move. Um, and, and when you're talking about a guy like Dreisaitl, the Oilers are just going to match whatever anybody offers for him. Now, it you would think it's a good tool to try and cripple one of your opponents by making them overpay to keep a guy, but I, I don't know that teams are looking at it that way. I think they're only looking at it as a way to get a player, not just to stick it to your opponent, because that is going to create ill will down the road. Yeah, the, the comments that I've, I've seen, and most of them are anonymous, but they, they do seem to lean more towards the side of they're just – there just aren't a lot of great players available on the open market anymore, and, and certainly this year, this free agency pool was kind of the extreme version of that, but at a certain point, you now have 31 teams in the league, and you have some GMs desperate to keep their jobs and, and desperate to win now. At a certain point, somebody's going to offer sheet somebody, not with the intention of, of trying to blow up that one team's payroll, but simply to try and steal that player away, because there's 
they're just you can't build a championship roster through free agency. And I know that some sometimes people just they forget that and they look at free agency and they say, okay, go out and spend all this money, and that's how you're going to make your team. You have to do it through the draft or a well-timed trade with with a, another GM that is either undervaluing his own player or is desperate to make a move. And so when we get to free agency, I, I yeah, I think at some point at least one or two GMs are going to get desperate enough to do it. The question I have after that is, if one or two do it, is it going to become more prevalent? I guess maybe. I, get, I mean, I would think the, the logic Sorry. behind that would be if the more GMs that do it, the less other GMs feel like they can't do it to those GMs. Yeah. But I think that's a multi-year process to get to the point where they would feel comfortable because it just it just feels like a, a touchy subject whenever it gets brought up. Fair enough. I, I just want to see some chaos. All right. You guys got anything else here before we uh, wrap this up? I got nothing. That sounds like a resounding no from everybody. It's less dead air. All right. Can we talk about uh, my plans for the weekend? All right. We'll move on. So that was episode 94. Craig Morgan is going to be back in town. So if you're a Coyotes fan or just a, a – Or a Craig Morgan fan. Or a Craig Morgan fan. But I wasn't going to go down that path quite yet. I was going to say if you're a Coyotes fan or just an interested onlooker of what's been going on with this team, Craig will be back at some point this week. So expect the Coyotes news to slow down uh, considerably at some point in the, the coming days. And Craig will be in studio for episode 95. So that will just be one big party, mainly because we'll all get coffee again. <laughs> Yeah, have you guys been doing without? Yes. Well, yeah, because uh, oh. Luke uh, Luke had a bad experience at Starbucks last time, so he's just not. Uh, he's had a couple bad. That's the second one recently. That's, that's true. Well, and the thing is, that's the, that's the Starbucks that's on my way to the uh, to the actual studios where we record. So, like, I thought about it today. I was like, I mean, Jamie could have some delicious coffee to really get ourselves going here to start the show, and then and then I saw which Starbucks I was by, and I just yeah, he didn't go, so now he, he's uh, he's guzzling down a, a nice water bottle from Kroger, and I have a half, half warm Dr. Pe- Diet Dr. Pepper. That was here for episode four. That, you're still drinking out of that? Sad. That was in the old studio. sad. Things we, have fallen apart since I left. Yeah, we don't have the premium treatment anymore. Um, all right. Yeah. All right. I'm on my way back soon. Craig, right. Craig's the glue guy. Start, start holds us well, all together. I don't know if I go that far, but 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 start driving, Craig. We'll we'll see you in a couple of days. <laughs> all right, guys. All right. For Craig Morgan, for Jamie Eisner, I'm Luke Lipinski. Thanks for listening to the Natural Hattrick Podcast.